Happy Sabbath again, everyone. Today we will be in John chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse uh, 40, start at verse 40, and uh, read through 42. And it reads, One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is, by interpretation, a stone. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you again for this opportunity to come and worship together. We ask and pray, God, as we wrestle with the word together, that you would speak to our hearts, that it would penetrate deep into our souls And God, that today, again, we would be brought closer to Jesus, uh, that we would be filled with your spirit, God, and uh, today that we would uh, be disciples of Christ. Please guide and lead now. May these be your words and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start today with a question for everybody here, and I'll ask you to participate uh, by raising your hand uh, when I say... But I want to ask the question, how many of you today, how many of you came to church today or into the church as a a baptized member through the invitation or uh, the encouragement or the ministry of a friend or a family member or someone you knew? This family member invited you to a Bible study invited you to church, invited you to an event at your church. How many of you came in by somebody you already know inviting you or connecting with you with the church? Can you please raise your hand today? Okay? Somebody invited you or connected you to the church. Okay? Now, how many of you came in by a cold invitation or just found your way into the SDA church, meaning nobody... Nobody you knew, nobody that you're acquainted with invited you to church. You just found it on the internet or got a flyer in the mail or something like that. Could you please raise your hand? Okay. All right. So we have, okay. So there's quite a number who haven't raised their hand either way. But those who did raise their hand, the ones who raised their hand, most of you raised your hand by saying that you came in through a personal invitation of somebody you already knew. Now, study after study shows that most people come into the church, at least a Seventh-day Adventist church, through a personal invitation, right? Through somebody they already know, somehow, who connected them to the church. And this is what we see happening here in John chapter 1 as Andrew, and later on in, in, these, in this passage, Philip is inviting Nathaniel. Now what's happening here in the context is John the Baptist 
is witnessing for God. He's preaching for God. He's preaching about repentance. He's preaching loud and strong and boldly. And his message was heard and received by thousands of people, the Bible says, that all Israel was coming out to be baptized in the Jordan River by him, including those who heard the message, even though they didn't respond positively, the most influential people in the nation heard the message of John the Baptist. But in the crowd, all the crowd of people who are coming and and the decisions being made, John here, he's focusing, he's zeroing in because we don't actually see the disciples of Jesus clearly until we see these personal one-on-one invitations. Now, by the end of chapter 1, we clearly have four disciples of Jesus. Of those four disciples, three of them were introduced to Jesus by somebody they already knew, right? Somebody they already knew. Only Philip was directly uh, called by Jesus in John chapter 1, okay? And I like what the NIV says for John chapter 1 and verse 41. It says, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah. It says the first thing that he did was to go find his brother and bring him to talk to him about Jesus. And he brought him to Christ. Once these men, Andrew and the other one here is John. It doesn't say it specifically, but almost all commentators agree that the two disciples were Andrew and John the evangelist, John the disciple, not John the Baptist, who were the first disciples of John the Baptist and then became the disciples of Jesus. That's not confusing. Once these men, Andrew and John, they spent just one evening with Jesus, one day, They were so excited that they went out and they found their friends and their family and they said, you have got to come and see this man. You you have got to come and meet this man, Jesus. I think we have found the Messiah. I think we have found him of whom Moses and the prophets were talking about. And when, uh, when Nathaniel questioned uh, uh, Philip, he said, well, can anything come, good come out of Nazareth? He said, come and see for yourself. And he quoted, he talked about Moses and the prophets, so he connected the word of God and his own personal experience. And that's how he, he brought them to Christ. That's how he brought him to Christ. He, he, entered, he was using the word and just his own personal experience. These men were not scholars. They were not scholars at all. They were not really, at this time, they were just being called as disciples. They did not have any formal training. They gave their testimony, and they were sharing the word. And they brought these men uh, to Jesus. You know, it is not our job to try to convert people to Christianity. Only the Holy Spirit can convert someone. Amen? We, we cannot do what only God can do. 
It's, that's not our job. It is not our job to argue with people and convince them that they are wrong and we are right. That's not our job. God doesn't want us to do that. Our calling and privilege is simply to invite people to see about Jesus for themselves. To invite people to know Jesus for themselves. This is how the gospel moves. Those close relationships, trusted people who direct others to their Savior. And with strangers, it is so much more difficult, isn't it? I think this is the first lesson that we can learn here when it comes to evangelism. The most important thing that we can do is to become friends with people. Plain and clear, when they trust us, they're more likely to hear what we have to say, to accept our invitations. Uh, an, an example of this was this morning. David can tell you this morning, as I was driving into the church today, I saw a lady um, walking with these bags and um, did, looking kind of beat up, a little bit older lady. And so when I got into the parking lot, I stopped my car, went up to the lady and uh, offered her some tracks and asked her where she was going, if she needed a ride. I was going to invite her to potluck if she needed. And she was very standoffish, you know. And I, you know, just trying to be nice. And, but she was like, no, thank you, I'm, I'm on my way. Like, who is this guy? You know, obviously, I'm a Christian, this is a church. But who is this guy, you know? It, it's hard when, we, when people don't know us and they don't trust us. So it's so important that we work through those relationships and we seek to genuinely become friends with people. And we'll talk more about this this afternoon. But are, we are directing people to the Savior. Now I have another question. Maybe you already know the answer by what I've been saying. Who is the most effective evangelist in the church today, the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Is it Mark Finley, Doug Batchelor, Alejandro Bouillon, Dwight Nelson, Dwight Nelson, or Sean Boonstra, who gets the best results? Who is the best evangelist in our church? Yeah, Doug. Doug? Okay, some people say Doug. Again, I want to ask the question, how did most of you come into the church? None of the above. None of the above? <laughs> yes. It was by an invitation Right, Most of us come into the church by invitation of somebody. Not everybody. I didn't come into church through invitation. But again, study after study shows. And those of you who actually raised your hand, most of you came in through an invitation of somebody that you already know. So the most effective evangelist in the church is you. You're the most effective. Even those people who come out to hear Doug Batchelor and Sean Boonstra and all of them, they're usually brought in by somebody. Hey, you've got to hear this guy. You know, you've you got to, this is famous evangelist is coming into town. Come, here's a flyer, you know. And that's how people come in. The most effective evangelist in the church is not the paid pastor. It's, it's not the paid evangelist. It's not all those... The most effective evangelist is a person who takes a personal interest in somebody else, in their family, in their neighborhood, in their circle of influence, 
It's that person who takes a personal interest in somebody else and makes it their mission to pray for them. Amen? We have to pray for people. And then try to bring them to Christ. Invite them, help them to know Christ. Now, I want to suggest something today. And that is this, that the gospel moves best through personal, close relationships. And I want to suggest today that the gospel also grows through personal and close relationships. Now, what do I mean by that? Please turn with me, if you will, to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is uh, after the day of Pentecost. The context is the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2. And we'll, we'll read here at verse 26, or I'm sorry, 46, Acts 2, 46. Um, many have just, uh, Paul, uh, Peter just preached his sermon and people are coming to Christ and uh, being baptized and they're fellowshipping together. It's talking about what's happening in the newly formed church. And in verse 46, it says, Acts 2, 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread, where? From house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So we see here this this element, how important it is to come to the house of God and worship, how the early church was doing this, but also how important it is for the home meetings and for the smaller groups as well. I appreciate um, what uh, Elder Bernard is going to be doing, having people at his home today to uh, learn and, and, and have this uh, watch this video about an important subject. Those are perfect times for fellowship. Those are times for, for coming close to other people and, and building relationship. Those are wonderful things that we should be doing in our church. Now, our weekly church services are important to God, aren't they? Our weekly church service and, uh, services and functions and activities are important and they cannot be replaced. But by themselves, in the big meetings where there's dozens, and in some churches, hundreds or even thousands of people, that is not enough. That is only half of what God's early church did. That is not enough. In and of themselves, we still need the personal touch. Every person still needs that personal touch. The Bible teaches us that we need a Christian experience that ministers on more of a personal level. The the gospel moves through personal relationships and the gospel grows through those close relationships as well. We need to continue with that personal touch of the gospel. We need small groups of believers meeting regularly in homes. Amen. In workplaces. Yes, in workplaces. 
in restaurants, even in the church, small groups. As a matter of fact, I believe that Jesus expected small groups, small groups of believers to meet and fellowship this way regularly in the early church. Like this was a focus of their fellowship. How do I know that? Well, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, 19 and 20. Many of you know this, this verse very well. We quote this all the time when we have a small group. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. Now, I don't have the time to go over everything, but the context here is dealing with conflict. If you have a conflict, go that person personally. If not, if that doesn't work, then take one or two. If that doesn't work, take it to the church. And then Jesus gives instructions if, if they won't listen there. And then he says in verse uh, 19 and 20, he says, Again, I say to you, this is Acts chapter 18, 19 and 20. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Amen. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. You know, church, I think sometimes we kind of downplay our smaller smaller gatherings together, don't we? As if when we come to church on Sabbath, wow, that's when God really shows up. But when we're meeting in prayer meeting, or we're having a Bible study, or we're doing some other thing where there's just a few people, uh, we're trying to encourage each other. Uh, don't forget God is with us. There's two or three, you know, gathered, uh, or two or three are gathered in my, my name. As if we have to remind ourselves, okay, God is going to show up. But you know what? God is just as much present with a small group of people as he is with a large group of people, isn't he? Isn't that what the text is saying here? Doesn't he say where there are just a few believers, I am there in the midst of them. If you only have two or three people, there I am in the midst of them. God, the same God who shows up on Sabbath afternoon, will show up in the small group meeting. Now, this is a pattern in the Bible, actually. Um, It starts all the way uh, back in the book of Exodus. I don't have time, but if you go back to Exodus chapter 18, and starting around 19 or 20, maybe a little bit sooner, but by the time you get to verse 21, you remember as the Israelites, they're coming out of Egypt and they're uh, in the wilderness and everybody's coming to Moses one after one with all their problems, and it's just exhausting Moses. And then he meets up with his father-in-law, Jethro, and he says, this is not good. What you're doing is not good. They're going to wear you out. And he tells Moses, listen, listen to me. You need to divide the people up into groups of thousands and hundreds and fifties, and tens. So he tells Moses, you need to divide all the people up in these groups, all the way down into groups of ten. They were easier to manage that way. And he said, just let the leaders of those groups of ten 
handle whatever issues they have. If they can't, then they'll go to the leaders of the 50, and then the 100, and then the 1,000. Okay? And so we see that as, as God was developing his new people, the Israelites, that there was this important organizational thing happening here where, where the, that the, the, the body, if you will, or, or the group was actually taking care of itself and not just one person or just a few people, but they were actually able to minister to themselves, weren't they? And you see, when you have... When you have larger groups all the time, and that's the only thing that you have, you miss that ability for sometimes for people to minister to one another. We, we miss that opportunity for people to build relationships and get to know each other better and minister to one another. Even Jesus, uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, it says that after he prayed, he went and he called his 12 disciples to himself. Just these 12 disciples. Now, of course, he had more disciples. But you get the point. There was this group of people that he was ministering to and training and discipling. And then they would go out and, and make other disciples as well. This is a very important part of God's people. This is a very important part of the worship experience. God is just as much present in a small group Bible study, in a prayer meeting, family worship, amen, a women's prayer breakfast, a Vespers program, or any other small group of believers who are fellowship, fellowshipping together. He is just as much present there as he is on Sabbath morning. God is not limited by numbers, and he's not a slave of numbers. He can do great things with crowds or great things with just a few. I'd like to read something here uh, from a book called Think Big, Think Small Groups by David Cox. Um, our North American division back in the 90s, uh, he wrote a book on, on this very subject. And he quotes, he uh, brings to the attention of the reader something that happened while Ellen White was in Australia, uh, something that happened in Melbourne, Australia, while she was there. And he says here, the Seventh-day Adventist Church began with a strong emphasis on small groups, partly because of its Methodist roots and partly because of the inspired counsel of Ellen White. For example, during Ellen White's visit to Australia, a major Christian revival took place in Melbourne, Melbourne, at the height of which 2,000 small groups were meeting in homes all over the city. She subsequently wrote, quote, The formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort has been presented to me by one who cannot err. Now, who is the one who cannot err? It's God. If in one place there are only two or three who know the truth, hmm, sounds like she's thinking of Matthew chapter 18, I don't know. Let them form themselves into a band of workers. And then she says, let them keep the bond of union, unbroken, pressing together in love and unity, encouraging one another to advance 
and gaining courage and strength from the assistance of others. That's Testimonies, Volume 5, page 21 and 22. She says in these small groups that they are supposed to keep their bond of union, pressing together in love and unity and encouragement. That is one of the wonderful things that God wants us to experience in these personal ministries, these, these, these close associations with family and friends and others. Church, we are missing something very important in our churches. God is bringing this to my attention. We are missing the personal touch of the gospel. No wonder sometimes when the only time people have a religious experience is only on Sabbath morning, and that's the only thing. Because sometimes people come in, they can get lost, there's little or no connection There's little or no fellowship. There's little or no encouragement. I mean, sometimes people are getting beat up out there, you know, and they're they're getting uh, confused or they're getting lost or they're they're struggling and they need some some counsel. They need some help one on one. And and they need that that personal touch of the gospel to help them along in their lives. We are, we are missing something if we don't have this regularly going on in our church. We need to press together in love and unity more than ever before. People today need real, live, consistent Christians in their lives like never before. We live in a digital age, don't we? Where things are becoming less and less personal and I mean, you can't even call a company or a business and get a human being, you know. You, you try to call about your phone service or you try to call about something else and they direct you to a machine and they don't even have an option for what you're trying to deal with, you know. Like, I want to talk to a human being, but they don't even give you the option. It's like, man. So we, we live in this digital age. People are we're always in front of our screens or in front of a TV or we're separated or distant from other human beings. And not only that, but people are so busy today. Why? Because we have all these things that are supposed to make our lives easier and save time. Our cars, our phone, uh, you know, all these other processes that you can just do it's supposed to save time and, and money and all these other things. And all we do is we just cram that save time with more things because it's quick and easy. I can do this too. So people are busy. And in that personal small group, we can have time to look at another human being and open up and build relationship and build trust. This is a very important part of the ministry of the gospel. We need it now more than ever because people are isolated. Small groups can meet so many needs for people if they're done right. Now, the first thing that comes to mind about leading someone to Jesus is that we, uh, you know, we often think about inviting them to different events or church, which is good. We need that. We need that. But it's also good for uh, people to be invited to our homes as well. 
It's good for people to be invited to a meal as well. A small group Bible study. If people don't want to go with you to church or to a Bible study, is there something else that you can do with a small group of believers to build bridges and to connect with people? There are so many different options out there. You know, um, when I was in Okinawa, uh, pastoring there, of course I was single at the time, I was not married yet, until just before I left, um, we had, and this group just formed, it just kind of happened. We didn't really intend it, but it happened. We had a singles group that would go out on Saturday night. So um, there was a chaplain there, Seventh-day Adventist chaplain there, a friend of mine, and uh, one or two others, and we started meeting at my house at sundown. We'd have like a little prayer or whatever and, and talk. And then afterwards, we would go do something together. Uh, and we just fellowship. Sometimes we would just stay there and make dinner at my house. That was fun too. But eventually, there's because there was a number of single adults in our church, ranging from mid twenties all the way up to fifties. And by you know after about a year or so, we had a, a little over half a dozen people. Not always every single Saturday night the same people, but somewhere about half a dozen people. And this group, we, we, we were the unofficial singles group of the Okinawa Inter- International Seventh-day Adventist Church. And in all, there was, as I look back, there was about seven people or so who, who would come with us regularly. Now, I've, I've left Okinawa. Um, it's been seven or eight years since I've uh, pastored there. And I only keep in touch with I really keep in touch with about three people from the Okinawa Seventh-day Adventist Church. There, and, I, and when I pastored there, there was about 60 people, 50 to 60 people attending. And there's only three people that I still keep in touch with to this very day. One of them is my wife. Okay. The second one is a good friend of mine who's in the military, lives in California, and we've actually been out to visit him once, and he's been out to visit us once. And another friend uh, who she lives, a church member, who lives up in uh, Philadelphia now uh, with her husband. And there's been times that we've, uh, most recently during the pandemic when everything shut down and we were at home, uh, we got in touch, and she even had a worship service with us once, her and her husband. And guess what? All three of those people were in the singles group. Because we formed a friendships, meaningful, long-lasting friendships. Those are the only three people I keep in touch with. Not to say that I didn't want to keep it with the other ones, but you know how it is. Plus, they're on the other side of the world, you know, and I don't have Facebook anymore. So uh, they're the only ones that I truly keep in touch with. They were in this singles group. And so I have lifelong friends because of that close fellowship that we had. Uh, for for those two years, and and I, I I even got a spouse out of out of the group as well too. So and you know what? And on a side note, I wasn't meaning to say this, but I really got to know Sumako as well too in that group. So uh, I believe somewhere in in uh, in the council, Ellen White says how important it is to for people who are dating and contemplating marriage not just to be alone all the time. <laughs> 
They need to be in the company of other people regularly so you see how they interact with others, how they deal with conflict, how they build relationships, how they act with the opposite sex and those type of things. So I really got to know Samaka. We did ministry together, but I got to know her pretty well in that group as well too. And we did everything uh, as a group. So you see the power of this personal close touch. I want to encourage us, all of you, to pray about and think about small groups. Okay? Now, there's so many things I can say on this, and uh, most likely next time I come, I'm working on this, I'm going to do a seminar. Next time I do a seminar, uh, it's going to be on small groups. I, I was I, I was wanting to do it today, but I have other material that I'm going to do. So, just a couple of things about small groups that it's important to collaborate with others, to talk with someone else about starting a small group and plan together, encourage the input of the other person. Small groups have a tendency to fail if it's just one person spearheading and, and, and doing all the planning and all of the, the uh, 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 you know, taking charge of everything. Because then when that person gets sick or ill or, or, or moves away or something, what happens to the group? It falls apart. So it's good to get collaboration with other people. So pray about starting a group with somebody else. Spiritual nurture is, is so important. If, it, if there's not something from the Bible, if there's not prayer, if you're not uh, uh, talking about the things of God, then it's, it's not as a Christian small group. You know, you have to have scripture. You have to have prayer. It doesn't necessarily have to be a Bible study, but it should be getting into the word. It should provide spiritual nurture and growth. People should be coming into contact with Jesus regularly through the word and prayer. And the third thing I will say is that it should be great commission focused. This is the goal and focus of our church, to lead others to Christ and to make disciples. You know, in a small group setting, people's spiritual gifts can flourish. They can be identified. They can grow. It's harder in large groups like this. There's a very few people doing a lot of things up front and behind the scenes. And most people are, you know, uh, are, are not doing that. You know, they're sitting in their pews. And I'm not saying anything bad about that, but that's the context of a large group. Not everybody's going to participate all the time. But when you only have two or three or five or ten people, whatever it is, then you get to know each other better. You begin ministering to each other and you can say, Brother so-and-so, I noticed that you do this very well. Or Sister so-and-so, I noticed that you have a gift for this. So we can develop more as disciples in these smaller groups. So they should, we should be making disciples. There should be spiritual nurture. And there should be collaboration with others. And I want to give us permission to not have to ask the board every single time we want to do something. If, you, if you're unsure, just talk to somebody who's on the board and just get some feedback and get some, some, some feedback and some thought and some prayer and, and, and just do it, you know. 
Remember, the gospel moves and grows best through personal relationships and small numbers. I'd like to finish with this story here. The Power of Relationships. This is a book uh, uh, called The Big Four by Joseph Kidder. And he writes about Judy. Judy, she was a single mom in her mid-twenties. She came with her five-year-old daughter to our church as a result of an invitation by one of our members to attend an evangelistic meeting. The young woman was eager to question everything and learn. Although she grew up Baptist, she left the church when she was 18 years old and became involved in drugs and heavy drinking and heavy partying. One night, a one-night stand left her pregnant. The pregnancy woke her up. Although she started to work on improving her life, she did not meet with much success and often relapsed into her old ways. But when Judy moved into our area, she ended up living next to Donna, an authentic Christian woman from our church. Donna took the time to build a relationship with Judy, often going out of her way to meet her needs. For example, Donna spent hours listening to Judy and doing everything she could to help her escape her bouts of depression. Our church was in the habit of having one evangelistic meeting every winter. That particular winter, Judy was going through a very difficult time. And Donna invited her to attend. And there she learned for the first time how special she was in the sight of God. She experienced God's presence and eventually asked for his grace and power. The power of his love transformed her life. She asked many questions to learn everything she could about God. Several times after her baptism, Judy Judy faced many challenges to her newfound faith. But it was the relationship that she had with Donna and other new friends in the church that kept her strong and growing in the Lord. Her story illustrates the power of combining personal evangelism with public evangelism. Here we see the importance of building relationships and thoroughly following up on them. Judy did not have a dramatic Damascus Road experience as did Paul, but she had an invitation to hear the gospel followed through by a process of discipleship by somebody whom she knew and came to love. And her, all of her needs were met in that relationship. Church, that's where we should start. Just like Andrew, just like Philip, who are the people closest in your life? Who should we be praying for to know and love Jesus? Who does God wants us, want us to reach out to? Because there's people in our lives who are just waiting for an invitation. Sometimes we'd be surprised at the people who would respond positively. But it starts with prayer. It starts with loving people and building relationships.
But once we do that, they come into the church, they're baptized, or they, be, they, they start attending, we have to keep that personal ch- t- touch as well. Church, I want to encourage us to take the Andrew approach and get out there and find a few others and get started. May God bless you and happy Sabbath. God in heaven, thank you for your holy word and thank you for uh, personally coming into each and every one of our lives um, and touching our hearts. Uh, May this continue through our church, this personal touch. And please guide us and lead us in reaching our community for Christ. Today we ask your blessing as we dismiss. Uh, Today, please be with each and every one of us. And thank you for your love for us in Jesus' name. Amen.